so when I emerged, I was ready to accept, you know, that that award, the here's your life back, you know, <laughs> we'll just reset the clock. And then that didn't really happen, you know, and I spent a couple years kind of banging my head against that wall of where's my normal and um, in my Hey, I'm Ryan Holmes, and this is Untold Santa Cruz, Shelter in Peace. There seems to be a lot in life that is beyond our control. And when we focus on that, it even seems to expand. It's through stories of perseverance, great spirit, and contribution that we learn how to be and who we can be in trying times and everyday moments. Untold Santa Cruz is a podcast about good people doing good work in a good place. It could be anywhere. It just happens to be here. My next guest created the resource she needed but couldn't find for women like her who were, quote, too young for breast cancer. I want to be clear that my mission is to help people like April find people like April. Breast cancer touched my life when my mom was diagnosed as I started junior high school and she was too young which is somewhat more of a state of mind, a season of life, rather than a hard number. So this story is absolutely for young breast cancer patients and those that know and care for them. However, I also want to share her story, her process birthed out of the scorched earth of cancer and the whole new world in front of her at that time. We can all learn from this journey that April embarked on when she realized that her old normal wasn't coming back despite all the yearning she and others could have for it to do so. She noticed how alone she felt being outside the normal demographic of breast cancer fighters when she was diagnosed at 34, shortly after having a child. Instead of grasping for what once was, she built the community she wanted and needed for herself and other young women in her situation, starting with Wildfire Magazine and spreading to much, much more. Please welcome my friend, April Stearns. Hey, April. Hey, Ryan. Welcome to Untold Santa Cruz. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, I have been, so we've, I, I've known you for a while, and I've wanted to interview you for a while, but in getting ready for this interview, I've looked at your Instagram, your LinkedIn page, and looked through the magazine, and I'm just, I'm kind of in awe of what you've built um, in Wildfire Magazine. Can you tell me who the magazine is for and kind of how it was born? Yeah, absolutely. So Wildfire Magazine is my contribution, my answer, my response to the fact that I had breast cancer at 35. And when I was diagnosed, I was the only person in my family, in my uh, colleague group, my social group, uh, and also at the doctor's office. I was the only younger person with breast cancer. And all of the resources that I was being directed to and being handed were designed for the woman who is the the median age, which is more like 65 in our country. Mm. And so there was a disconnect for me. I didn't see myself in those um, those guidances and guidelines. And nor could my doctor really say, you know, well, I have this other patient who is also 35 or any of those things. We were all in uncharted 
waters at that point. I was diagnosed in 2012. And so now I think there are, unfortunately, more and more of us being diagnosed young. And um, All right. So um, I love the name Wildfire. And I, I read the story of it, but I want to hear it in your words because I think it's just perfect for right now. Yeah, absolutely. So wildfire, the name comes from the fact that I grew up with a firefighter family. My dad was a firefighter. My brothers were firefighters. And so um, growing up in that culture, there was a fear of fire, obviously, mm, but yeah. there was also some respect for for what a fire is all about. And so I grew up with this notion of a wildfire blazing through a forest and seeming to cause a lot of destruction and rightly causing a lot of destruction. Mm-hmm. But then the um, the story of kind of what happens to the forest after the fire always appealed to me as far as an analogy, because that fire, that clarifying event comes through, burns out the underbrush and makes way for new life coming up and emerging and maybe in some cases it can be even better than Mm. than what was before so when i made wildfire magazine first i wanted to to pay homage to my dad he had passed from pancreatic cancer just before i started the magazine um so i wanted to give a nod to him and his 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 guidance in my life but also to set the tone for the magazine that that cancer was a wildfire for us and it was horrible and it was destructive, but that maybe there was something to be nurtured and something coming after that we could explore together. Yeah. So that's the idea. Yeah. That's uh, a beautifully powerful perspective. And I just, I, I, I mean, I've had that thought um, with the, this new normal we're in with COVID-19 is that, you know, everyone's collective normal is, is gone. And I, I, you know, sometimes it feels naive to hope for something better to come from the other side of this, but it seems better than the alternatives. Um, how did you, with your diagnosis, stay so seemingly positive, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and even creative in the moment? I mean, you, you said that there were no resources for women like you and mm-hmm. you somehow chose to create it. How did you do that? <laughs> so it was definitely a, a road, you know, and I really think that through any big thing, whether it's COVID-19 and where we're at now or something like a breast cancer diagnosis, it is a lot of ups and downs and a lot of grieving, um, grieving what could have been, what has happened, the life that we knew before being lost. And, and you work through all of those things. And sometimes it's a swift process. You know, you go from the thing happening to the acceptance and you move on and you're rolling with it. And sometimes Mm. it's a much more up, down, back, forth, squiggle line. And for me, my breast cancer uh, road was much more of that up, down, back, forth, Mm -hmm. um, squiggle line. Mm -hmm. And so it looks like now, like I was diagnosed and then created this magazine and it was pretty swift, but it was actually a couple years. It was uh, four years actually after my diagnosis before the first issue came out. And in that time, 
there's there's a story that you get told when something major happens. And we've heard a little of this with COVID, but not so much. But basically that this terrible thing is happening to you. But before you know it, you'll be back to normal. You'll right. get back to what that wife was before. And in breast cancer, there is that story that's told too. You know, this diagnosis is this is a little speed bump. You're going to do your treatment, you know, might be chemo, might be surgery, might be radiation. Some women take uh, hormone therapies for a few years. But the the overall umbrella is that your life's going to go back to normal. So mm-hmm. just hang in, you know, one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really believed that. And I... I really um, didn't have a lot of trouble going through treatment. It was hard, but I appreciated that my oncologist laid out the path. And I am, a, if nothing, a good follower of instructions. And so I just did the work, you know, and got through it. Um, mm-hmm. My treatment was about 13 months long. And so when I emerged, I was ready to accept, you know, that that award, the here's your mm-hmm. life back, you know, <laughs> we'll just reset <laughs> the clock. And then oh, that wow. didn't really happen, you know, and I spent a couple of years kind of banging my head against that wall of where's my normal oh, and um, and finally came around to the idea, OK, this is, it's going to be a new normal and I'm going to have to figure out what this new normal is. Mm. And that's where the magazine started to emerge from. Mm needing to find others who had gone through what I had gone through, needing to see how they were making a life after diagnosis, but not finding those stories, not seeing those images, and then the slow reluctance of, okay, I I guess I need to make that resource. Reluctant, I I bet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll have to build it if I want it. Exactly, right. And want it for others, right? Well, yes, that's exactly true. I mean, it started off as a selfish thing of like, I really need to see these women and then became, okay, if if I need this, then I know there's others who need it. And very soon I started to hear that from, Mm -hmm. from all around me, you know, as I found them, people saying, I thought I was the only one. And, and now I know I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, being, you know, as you said, too young for breast cancer. Mm-hmm. you're even more alone than you know people are women with breast cancer right yeah so. yeah that's that's totally true i think that um the last statistic i saw was in the united states there's uh, i think close to 13,000 women diagnosed with breast cancer under the age of 40 wow. which sounds like a lot But if you consider those as all little grains of rice and you fling them to the far corners of our country, you know, it's, it is possible that you're the only person in your town or, um, certainly at your work or in your family or, um, in your social circle. And it really is hard to go through something like that when you, you don't have another friend you can call up and say, you know, how did you tell your kid about cancer mm. or what, what did you do about these hot flashes or, mm. you know, we're such social creatures. We really need, yeah. we need people we can talk to about this stuff. Yeah, I remember, um, you know, my mom got cancer in the eighties when I was in junior high and mm-hmm. it's, I don't remember being sad, although I remember or, or scared even. And that sounds weird because in the eighties, when you heard someone had cancer, you, you thought they were going to die. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, my, my mom caught it early and, and, um, had a good doctor, thankfully. 
But I remember her saying that the hardest part for her was how her social life changed, how people didn't know how to talk to her about it and they just stopped calling, mm-hmm. you know? So I, you know, I was, uh, you know, th- this idea that telling our story makes everyone else safer. I, I love right. that. Um, yeah. So have you always been a storyteller or is this something you've learned along the way? You know, it's interesting. I have for the most part, always been a writer of my own story, but not necessarily to share. I've had journals and things like that from way back. I remember writing in, in journals as a, a teen, you know, and needing that outlet for, for the injustices and different things that were happening in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later I discovered the power of telling, telling stories for others to read, um, in my early writing career at newspapers and things like that, you know, learning kind of the transformative power of, of sharing those stories. Um, as far as like my own storytelling for, for like a personal narrative type storytelling, I think I got my start with that more when my daughter was born and I had a blog at that point and was again searching for others who had younger children at home who could relate to what I was going through just, Mm. you know, on a parenting note. And then pretty quickly that grew into a cancer blog, which was for the purpose of me having an outlet, but also to keep friends and family updated on what okay. I was going through, um, you know, so they wouldn't have to be asking my husband necessarily or um, wondering, you know, how I was. Because like you said, too, with your mom, there were people who didn't want to bother me or didn't know what to say or yeah. didn't just didn't know how to support me. So for me, having a blog to kind of say this is what I'm going through, that they could read you know, without being right in front of my face and mm-hmm. they could uh, digest and then come back to me with their support later seemed to kind of help everyone just kind of stomach what was going on too. Yeah. So, so that was powerful for me to learn that. Mm. You know, yeah, it, we hear cancer and it's sort of this blanket, um, uh, you know, it's a blanket diagnosis, but I was really struck by reading through the sample magazine you have on the website that there are so many experiences of breast cancer. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. just so many different expressions of it, different ways that it's treated and, and even preemptive treatment. Uh, I was reading about the, you know, genetic analysis. It's so, I mean, there's, everyone has their own experience with it, I suppose. And, um, I guess, wildfire is a place to share all those experiences and the collective reality. Right. Exactly. When I started it, I wasn't um, trying to be the voice of young breast cancer or trying to say that my way of going through it was, you know, the right way or the only way by any means. What I didn't know when I was diagnosed was that there are several different types of breast cancer. There are several different stages at which you can be diagnosed. And then there's all the little decisions and choices to be made throughout treatment. Um, and all, all these roads are leading you in kind of a slightly different place where you end up. And we all have this breast cancer diagnosis in common, but it's helpful to find other women who have made some of the similar choices or ended up with some of the similar results as a consequence of those choices. And so I just wanted to make a space where it was possible to find those people. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so one of my uh, favorite parts of your story, it's, it's a, it, it seems like a tiny part um, and it's in the beginning, but it, it's, see, I see it playing out here. When you were riding at City on the Hill and mm. you were, uh, I was snooping, <laughs> um, when you're riding at <laughs> City it. on the Hill, yeah, it was really fun. I mean, I wrote down way more questions than we'll have time for just because so many, uh, I was so curious, but you had your first story to write and you didn't know how to do it and you wanted to do it. So you started researching and found a story you liked and then you deconstructed that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, it seems so obvious, but it's just brilliant to me. Um, <laughs> and it sort of seems that. like that's what your magazine's doing. You know, you're deconstructing this experience, this difficult road. Um, and, but also, you know, this road of possibility too. So providing, role models. And here's mm-hmm. how you can do it when it might look like this for you. Um, exactly. Exactly. I think, you know, we all kind of have to start wherever we are and yeah. from whatever, um, whatever tools we have. And I think two things, you know, one is just, you know, start, start now start, and start, you can start again at any time, but just begin nice. whatever your process is now, whether you feel like you're ready or not. But yeah, look for those people who can show you a little bit of a path, you know, Mm. that you want to emulate. It's a little of that fake it till you make it right. Like you just you find you find someone who's doing um, something, whether it's survivorship or, you know, writing an article or making a magazine, whatever it is, making a podcast, you find Mm. those ones that you think, okay, they're they're doing that really well. Like, how are they doing that? And you take it apart and then it is usually a little series of, of blocks or paths that you can follow until, until it becomes apparent that you need to diverge and make it your own. Um, but by then, I know I'm picturing, you know, children learning to ride bicycles with training wheels. Like you, right. no one expects you to be just, you know, a BMX bike rider flying off jumps and stuff right on your first day. You have to start somewhere. So Yeah. Yeah. You, and, and it strikes, you know, obviously in, in nature, diversity is strong. And if there's only one message out there in the world of this is how to be a, a breast cancer survivor, this is what it looks like. And you're not mm-hmm. on that path that day that I imagine that seems really uh, alienating or uh, you, know, you feel alone again. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And for whatever reason, there is kind of that like classic uh, breast cancer survivor trope mm. in our society. You know, mm-hmm. you've, you've seen them in the movies, you see them every October, you know, when everything goes really pink, you see mm. them. And it's not to say we don't have those days where we feel like that, you know, breast cancer warrior girl, you know, who's, who's yeah. really doing it strong, you know, and it's yeah. like, I've got this and all that. But Unfortunately, if like you said, if that's the only message or the only language can be that of of war and winning mm. and all of that, Conquering. then what about the exactly what about the days when you don't feel like you're winning at it or you feel sad or mad or um sick as a dog or mm. you've you've lost someone, you know, in as we as we build these connections and know so many people you know, in, in whether it's the breast cancer community or whatever community is your own, you inevitably lose people there too. And so then how do you reconcile that with the, you've got this girl 
kind of message mm-hmm. of, of cancer too. So it's making space for all those different stories to come out because I will guarantee that, you know, if you're feeling sad, there's someone else who also has felt sad and needs to yeah. know that that's valid. Yeah. Why do you think uh, we have such a propensity to um, simplify the archetype of the breast cancer survivor? And, and, you know, to, I don't know if we're doing it consciously, but we, you know, this, this singular image that we have, why do you think that is? I mean, because we all know someone that's been affected. I mean, I think we all do. Um, and yeah. certainly we all look different, or all our friends and family. Right. I think, you know, as humans, we really like a, a story of triumph and a story of overcoming. And it's, yeah. it's probably just really scary to, to acknowledge the fact that things can go all different ways. I mean, even as, as COVID's playing out and we're hearing those stories of people dying, I, I do find myself kind of appreciating hearing that someone overcame it or is recovering, you know, and, and you want to feel like, okay, well, you know, if that happens to me, then I will be that person. Or if that happens to my loved one, that'll be that person. And everyone wants to know what to say to someone who's going through something hard. And it feels good to be able to say, you, you've got this, you can do this, you know? And I think there's room for that language. I think it just also has to be inclusive of the fact that somewhere between you've got this and where you are today, there might be a lot of different things happening in between and that those are okay too. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, as, as, Humans, I see us getting better at that and getting better at talking about particularly the mental health side of a physical diagnosis. But, um, but it's, it's, that's the messy stuff. That's the hard stuff. And sometimes I think as a society, we just kind of would rather wrap it all up and put a pink bow on it and, mm. and, and get on with it, you know? Yeah. 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 I keep thinking that, um, that there's some positive to, humanity, you know, going through something as radical as COVID, uh, together, you know, we, mm-hmm. we are unified in this one thing. It's uh, fear. And, you know, I think some of us are fearing different things. Some are fearing the virus, some are fearing the economics. I mean, mm-hmm. we're all probably deep down fearing the virus, even if we're hoping or, or thinking that it's overplayed or, or less, mm-hmm. hopefully going to turn out smaller, you know, smaller effects. But, um, yeah, is there, I mean, that must be quite a community. I mean, the community you've built through Wildfire um, strikes me as, you know, you started with a magazine, but you've ended up with a, a wonderful Instagram um, account. I mean, it's full of positive things. And then I read through the comments and I'm like, wow, it reminds oh, me of like, th- these, are, th- these are people with heavy stories and lives changed. Um, how does that you know, how is that for you building this community and, and dealing with all this heaviness and I guess triumph too, but yeah. Sure. Well, it's interesting because when I decided to make the magazine, I remember having a conversation with my therapist where I don't remember, you know, word for word, but the message from her was, are you sure? Like, do you want to stay in cancer? Because, um, you know, at the point, the point that I actually launched the first issue, I was four years out from my diagnosis. I had lost my dad in between a lot of stuff had transpired. And 
you know, everyone was still kind of rooting for me to get back to normal. And so then my acknowledgement that I was going to have to make a new normal and my decision to have that new normal encompass cancer or, or kind of stay in cancer. I think some people felt like, you know, is this the right decision? And I have not regretted it at all because even though I've heard so many hard stories, uh, you know, like I said, there's so many different stories of, of being diagnosed. There's not one story. And even though I've definitely lost women that I've become close to through wildfire and, and through being part of the community, I don't regret deciding to stay in this cancer land because it fill, it does fill me up and it gives yeah. me something back too that helps me also feel like I'm not alone. And I think that's the thing, no matter how, how much wildfire grows and helps other people selfishly, I'm still here needing my community too, as a breast cancer survivor myself, you know, I still need to find those women and, and see how they're doing this. And I get to do that every day and call up Mm. my job. So it's, it's pretty clever, actually, what I've done (laughs) for myself. Yeah, Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, keep creating the thing you need and crave and want, and and lo right. and behold, there's good people there. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, what? So, what would you say? I mean, is there space in wildfire for family members, dads, um, you know, uh, husbands, you know, in that magazine? I mean. I know that it's for women with breast cancer, mm-hmm. but I guess I'm, what I'm asking is, um, you know, how do we support the family members or how do we in, inform the family members that are going through this with, uh, with their, their wives, their, their daughters, their, you know? Right. Well, it's a great question because when I started the magazine, I really was only thinking about that, that, um, patient, you know, that young woman who I identified with. And then as the magazine grew, I had doctors, caregivers, nurse navigators reaching out to me because they're so hungry for resources to be Mm. able to give their young patients. And by the same token, I get a lot of, um, family members reaching out, like you said, whether it's, um, partners or parents, a lot of times parents, just because of it being a younger community, you know, and, and there's parents who are struggling to support this, this huge thing that has happened to their child, mm-hmm. their daughter. Yeah. Um, and then I also have women, um, who, who reach out to me who are like, my best friend is now going through this or, you know, my sister-in-law yeah. or my cousin or whatever. And so although wildfire is written and told from the perspective of other patients, it has become a resource that is so valuable to everyone who is surrounding and holding that young woman in their life because it gives you a glimpse into what they're going through mm-hmm. and helps to shed light on the, the, the scarier side, the darker side that's not really portrayed in all the pamphlets you get from the doctor's office or the Hollywood blockbuster that, you know, is about cancer, but it's so positive. Um, mm-hmm. So the so wildfire is read by everyone around her too. And so 
you know, I've really struggled with if I do I need to have like different versions of the the magazine for the different audiences that read mm-hmm. it. But I've decided to keep it core to the young woman who's been diagnosed herself because she truly is the one who really, really needs to find others. Yeah. But I always, I like almost every day, I hear from someone who is just one, you know, ripple out from the center of that circle who says, you know, reading the magazine, it gives me a way of supporting this person that I love so much in my life and, and gives me a glimpse of what they need. That, that's great. Yeah. Um, it, it was interesting as, as I looked through it, like I, I completely get what you're saying. Um, and I think, gosh, it would be really hard to start another magazine for people surrounding that person. But an interesting thing happened as I read it, I actually felt supported in, in, in the way that, you know, how when you go, when a friend gets married and you meet the people in their life and oh. you feel like, oh, you know, my friends have great people around them. Well, right. reading the magazine, I, I had this feeling of like, these are the women that are going through this, you know, with my mm-hmm. mom for instance. And I, that felt really good. Yeah. You know, I don't know these people and they're having different experiences, but it was just nice to know, I guess the supports there. So thank you um, for doing that. It's, it was a a really surprising (laughs) result in, in the research, you know, that's great to hear. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another interesting thing that I didn't expect that you're doing, there's lots of interesting things you're doing that I didn't expect. (laughs) One of my role models was always Mr. Rogers. And Mm -hmm. uh, something he did habitually was write letters to people. And there's actually a whole book about about the relationship someone had with him through the letters. And Mm. that connection seems so profound. And like you said, with the magazine, you know, an opportunity to detach from the digital world and the, the, the pace of it. I -hmm. see that you've started a a pen pal club. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to find out more about that and how it's going. Yeah. So when this whole COVID thing started, it's interesting because I also had Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers in the back of my head, you know, and the advice he got from his mom to look for the helpers. And I was thinking to myself, you know, we all have this opportunity now. This is when, you know, this was early March when things were just kind of getting rolling here in California. But I thought like, so who do I want to be in this crisis? And, you know, I've had a lot of ups and downs and squiggle lines around all of that now in the last, um, I don't know where we are now. I can't even remember how long we've been in our homes at this point, but you know, lots of thoughts, but initially one of the thoughts I had was, okay, so COVID isn't breast cancer, but it is something we're all dealing with now in this, this new normal. And how can I be a helper in that? Because I, I wanted to be, to try to be a helper to my community. And so one thing I thought, um, so I saw this, I saw this funny meme about early on about how you can't call quarantine quarantine unless you're from the quarantine region of France. I Otherwise it's just, <laughs> it's just sparkling isolation. Right. <laughs> and so I thought like, how can I, how can I make someone's isolation a little more sparkling? And, oh. um, and yeah, this idea of letter writing, you know, we're all in our homes. We maybe have a lot more time on our hands than we had before. So how can we sparkle that up for someone? And so I just put out there on my, on the Instagram, you know, does anyone want to 
be linked up with a pen pal. And Brian, the response was just huge. I have, I think now played matchmaker to 60 women who reached out to me. Yeah. And said, that sounds amazing. I really want to do that. And so what I did was I asked them, you know, everyone who follows me or for the most part, everyone who follows me on Instagram has had breast cancer at a younger age, or at least identifies, you know, with a younger, um, a younger crowd. And so I asked all of them how old they were um, currently, you know, how old they were at their diagnosis and if they had any children. And I just used that as my jumping off point for, for linking them together. And I figured, you know, if you, um, if you have kids around the same age and you are around the same age dealing with your breast cancer, let that be the foundation that starts your, your friendship. And then we'll just, you'll have to just see where it goes from there. But Um, It was really fun getting to play that matchmaker. And I've had such a great response from people being so excited about doing it. I sent out a few little pointers, you know, um, stationary always makes writing fun. So I had some links for where I I find my stationary um, and um, having some fun stamps, you know, here's, here's a link to that. But the responses came from all over the world, all over the U S especially, but also from Canada England, Australia, just from all over the place. And so it was really fun matching women up with that. That's so fun. That's so fun. (laughs) You, you seem to be an expert at, um, starting things and just getting them going and then letting them blossom into something. And it's just, you know, like the wildfire, right? This is just a, a, a moment where nothing's normal you have some time to start things. And I just, uh, you know, beyond the cancer um, support, I just appreciate you being a model for doing that in the world because I, I, you know, I struggle with it. You know, I struggle with start, especially something vulnerable, something creative. It's really hard to start. So thanks for doing that. And, and then linking up people, starting those relationships, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, early on in wildfire, I got some good advice to just start before you're ready. And, um, at that point, I was looking at other magazines and other entrepreneurs, and I just heard that message a few times to start before I was ready. And And I even remember my own dad saying that to me as part of his advice for getting married, because I was, yeah. you know, I was feeling like, well, I have, I have too much debt, or I have this and that and the other thing, and should I really get mm-hmm. married? And I just remember him saying, you know, if you wait till every all the pieces line up perfectly, then probably you'll never do whatever it is. And that was certainly the case with starting the magazine. And even now, um, there's been a few things that I've decided to tackle within our, um, within the, the COVID environment that we're in that were things on my business, uh, my business model plan or whatever, you know, down the road. And I just thought, you know what, let's just jump in, let's just do it. And Mm -hmm. We'll just see what happens. And, you know, people are really forgiving of that kind of just DIY spirit. You know, if you just come at it and are like, I don't know what I'm doing. Let's see what happens. They, they get really excited about that and they want to support you doing that. So you can't say that you're doing things and not tell us what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) What do you, what do you got up your sleeve? (laughs) Well, two things. So I had always wanted to do more writing workshops with women to help them tell their stories. And I, um, I really love writing in person. And so I 
have kind of been pushing that off because I wanted mm. to figure out how to do more in-person things. And I've had the opportunity sure. to do several in-person workshops. But when um, whenever I, I put out an in-person workshop, I would inevitably get people saying like, oh, bummer, you know, I'm I'm in Florida or whatever. I wish I was closer. And sure. so I I decided that this was a really great opportunity to do more um, online workshops. And so I just immediately launched one for April and now I have another one for May. And it's just been really great to just jump in and figure out how to do a Zoom based writing workshop, which I hadn't done before. Yeah. And then the other thing is it's kind of a similar thing. I'd wanted to do more live events around launching each issue of the magazine where I would have um, contributors read their stories and, um, and just, you know, get excited and honor them for their contribution to the current magazine. And again, I just kept pushing it off because, um, I don't know, you know, stuff happens and it just yeah. becomes a backburnered thing. Well, I just decided, you know, now's the time and we're all so open to doing things online these yeah. days that I just decided I would do a launch party for my current issue. Uh, also, um, you know, just by, by online connection and people are excited and people want to do it. So yeah, yeah. those are two things that are coming. I love it. I love it. Um, so that reminded me of something else. Uh, Um, well, so with writing, right. If, if you plan on becoming a writer, you know, you'll, it will, I mean, it won't happen, right? Right. (laughs) Because it's uncomfortable. (laughs) It's difficult. Um, I mean, some people do it. They obviously have done it. Um, there are, but if you have a workshop and you're signed up for the workshop and there's other people that are going to be there expecting you, you know, it's, it's this Mm. constraint Mm -hmm. almost. It's like, well, now it's on my schedule. Mm -hmm. Um, so it seems like in a way, a lot of wildfire, um, and the things you're doing now have been born of constraint, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, the possibility of uh, normal life, uh, pre diagnosis or pre COVID or, you know, mm-hmm. so that's, uh, such a, a wonderful skill to share as well. This, um, taking what seems like a constraint and then finding a creativity in it and a sort mm-hmm. of like, well, you know, what do I have to lose? I guess. I mean, I might as well start because, you know, right. I'm not going back to normal. Uh, things are different. Exactly. Well, and I really think too, that one of our human superpowers is in adaptability and mm. being able to pivot. I also think that pain is a really good guide and it doesn't have to be like horrendous pain. It can just be, you know, I want to grow or the, you know, the skin is getting a little tight. Like how Mm -hmm. can I shift and change? And when we allow ourselves to be open to that and, and hear, you know, that those things are happening in our lives. And then even if, even if it's like guiding us in a direction that also feels uncomfortable because it's outside of our comfort zone, almost I mean, I I can think of very few examples in my life where I've been like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have changed or I wish I wouldn't have jumped. You know, we usually end up being like, why didn't I do that sooner? So, yeah. 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 It's like, um, you know, the the pain of uh, the loss, 
lost to normal, what things used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that pain is is really perspective, and that perspective creates a vision where we see things differently, we see different things. And then mm-hmm. once you start, the perspective keeps changing because you're finding yourself in that new territory, right? Well, that's, yes, that's totally true. I think there is a good long period of time, you know, it's longer for some than others, where you try to bargain your way back to the way it used to be. And you just, you're so upset and disappointed that it has changed. And you're trying to figure out how to, Mm. you know, how to bandaid it back together so it can be what it was before. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, life rarely works out that way. And, and we do have to kind of build again or, or rise again Mm -hmm. from whatever those ashes were. But so many times it ends up being even better than you ever could have imagined. It's just getting yourself to that point where you're ready to take those steps in that acceptance direction versus Mm -hmm. the, you know, bargaining and trying to go back direction. Right. Yeah. The resisting how it is or what's so, right? Right. Exactly. And sometimes it can be a cobbled together, you know, mix of what was and what can be, but Hmm. But unfortunately, it rarely is exactly how it was before. Yeah, yeah. The um, you know, I think you were referring to that earlier. You talked about the different stages of of grief. I, I think I, I think mm-hmm. you were referring to the stages of grief. Um, you know, and if you just try to rush to the end where it's all better, you miss mm-hmm. a lot of that magic in in the middle. Or yeah, ma- I mean, magic might be <laughs> a little too rosy, yeah. right? Because it's hard too. And you seem to have a real respect for the hard. Well, I do because, you know, it's interesting. I think we, this is along the same lines of like that cancer trope and the messages we get from society. And there's this desire to find the silver linings, you know, and people refer to their cancer journey and things Mm. like that. And the reason that I resist that isn't because I don't think there are lessons to be learned or, or like I'm saying that it could maybe possibly even turn out better than you could have imagined, but it's just a, a desire to really pay respects to the struggle. Because I think that when we don't do that, first of all, I, d- I don't even know if it's possible to skip that. I think you might think that you somehow cheated and, and gone ahead to the, you know, you've collected your $200 and you're on to the yeah. next thing or whatever, you know. Um, but life doesn't usually work out that way. Like you'll, you'll find yourself back at square one. It just might not be immediately. Um, and so I've found it's better to just kind of work through the process as, as needed, but also, there's so much, I don't, there's so much richness of life in that struggle too. And in, in allowing yourself to feel your feelings and it then opens you up to finding others who can relate to that. And, and there's a richness in those friendships too. That's, that's lovely. Um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should talk about? Um, my goodness, I'm sure there's many things. <laughs> right. but... <laughs> we may have to have you back again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. No, I think like the only thing that uh, that I was thinking while, you know, we've mentioned COVID off and on is it is interesting, the parallels between a cancer diagnosis and the treatments and what what we're all facing as a world right now. And I know within the cancer community, some there's some people who feel like it's it's kind of validating for the whole rest of the world to kind of know what that feels like. Um even down to the quarantine, because, you know, when you're going through cancer treatment, you do kind of have to shut yourself off from a lot of the rest of the world. Be just be just because you're very susceptible to to illness and things, you know. But then there's the fear of, um, you know, what does all this mean? What what if I you know, get COVID or, or in the breast cancer, you know, what if my cancer comes back and, and the fear of all of that unknown, it just feels very familiar territory. Mm -hmm. And so it's just an interesting time, um, to be publishing a a cancer magazine in this greater context. But one of the things I did just this last week was I took a survey of, of my, my little community, you know, to ask them, like, how can I support you? And what else do you need? Um, beyond the pen pals and the things we've talked about. Mm. And they mostly just said, please just be normal. Please just be a dependable place where, Mm. where I can get the breast cancer support I need. Because I think right now, you know, all of the, all of the small businesses are trying to figure out how to serve their customers in this new light. And we really do need to ask each other, like, what do you need? How can I help you? How can I serve you? And I, I feel lucky that they, they said, just keep doing what you've been doing. Cause I know how to do that. So yeah. I'm just going to yeah. keep, keep supporting with storytelling, yeah. but, yeah. but yeah. That's great. Um, I love your quote. Um, telling your story makes the world safer and better for everyone. Oh yeah. You know, someone actually said that to me after I told a story from my past and I really had to sit with that and think like, is that true? Like is telling my little story, helping someone else. But then I think back in my life and, um, so many times it's like, if I hadn't, if I had heard a story like that, if I could have known, you know, a a path or, or that I wasn't alone, it would have would have made the world better for me. So I, I yeah. strongly believe that. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the added bonus I always think is that if you're willing to tell your story, that also gives people the message that it's okay to tell theirs. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that is one of the big things about the power of storytelling. It's, it's both in the listening and in the telling your story. And it all has to do with that person who is witnessing you do that Mm. because it's so powerful to see someone stand up and say, you know, this is my truth and this is where I've been. This is what I'm going through. And that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed about being a part of a younger breast cancer community is because I don't think we have some of the same stigma around admitting um, you know, that we have cancer, admitting a major diagnosis. And, you know, coupled with a desire to find others, people mm-hmm. just are telling the most incredible life stories and not, not because they want pity at, at all. Right. It's just to say, you know, here I am. And this is these are my scars. And this is my story. And I'm still a whole person, you know, yeah. And then you just keep repeating that until maybe yeah. you believe it too. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it changes, right? 
It does. It changes so much. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you for telling your story and starting Wildfire, even though you didn't know how. You certainly, certainly have learned well. Um, where can people? I mean, I'll link to in the show notes to Wildfire, and sure. um, where else can they find you? Where's the best place to find you and about the work? You're yeah. Doing? So the website is probably the best place. That's wildfirecommunity.org. Um, but certainly there's vibrant discussions and things happening on Instagram. Yeah. That's wildfire underscore BC underscore magazine. I'm also on Facebook, but a great starting point is the, is the website. Perfect. It's, and it's, it's all so beautiful. I mean, the magazine is beautiful. Your feed is beautiful. It's just, I just admire the lightness you bring to such a intense and heavy topic. You've, you've done a really good job. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. that. Thanks for thanks for being here today. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. I learned so much from the whole process of talking with April. I loved how she modeled her writing after something she knew she liked in the beginning. So many times when faced with the blank page, a space where nothing exists yet, we can become gripped by the notion of having too many options. Paralysis by analysis. Whenever we are overcome by emotion in life, it can be easy to freeze up and do nothing, giving in to resistance. Whether it's the fear of a new type of work assignment, the opportunity to be creative, or the life-shaking blow of something like a cancer diagnosis, having a model to follow is incredibly helpful. While we can all agree that it can certainly help, it's dangerous to think that it's the only option. There will be days when we lack energy, drive, and faith. We need a shoulder to lean on, or cry on, or a picture in our mind of what our path to the other side of pain can look like. Whether that is a role model, or a system model, or both, I was reminded by my talk with April that we don't need to walk alone through pain, sadness, or anger. There are people out there that have done it before and have something truly useful to share. In the case of women that are too young for breast cancer, it was incredibly hard to find those others. So hard yet important that April created a space to share those stories and lend those shoulders so no young women would feel they had to walk that path alone. If you know someone whose life has been impacted by breast cancer, whether that is someone who has it or knows and cares for that person. Please share this episode, Wildfire Magazine, and the incredibly informative and supportive community that April has helped grow with her courage to jump in and create when she didn't know exactly how, but knew all about why. Thanks for listening. As always, if you know someone with a story like April's that simply must be told, I would love to meet them. Drop me an email at untoldsantacruz at gmail.com. See you next time. I'm Ryan Holmes.